Welcome, you are listening to Unlocking the Truth, the podcast channel by Precept Ministries Canada. Come discover God's truth for yourself by studying His Word and deepen a personal transformational relationship with God. This series called In Faith Alone will get you deep into the Book of Romans. Dig deeper by following along with the Bible study, Experiencing the Power of Life-Changing Faith, the new inductive study series on Romans, available at preceptministries.ca. Now here is Mark Sheldrake with Unlocking the Truth. Hello everyone, it's Mark Sheldrake here again. Welcome to another episode of Unlocking the Truth podcast, a ministry of Precept Ministries in Canada. So thankful again that you're tuning in to the podcast. And what's so great, folks, is we're back to in-person training. And I love in-person workshops. I get to travel around and I get to meet people And one of the cool things about getting out into the world again and meeting people is I'm starting to meet people who are listening to this podcast. That is so encouraging. And I am loving that fact that people are coming up to me and telling me about the podcast and they're listening to it and they're encouraged by it, blessed by it challenged by it, all of those things. And uh, what an opportunity we have to be able to use this tool to reach people all across Canada. I know there are folks listening in the United States, and there are others who are listening around the world. It's so good. I'm so thankful that uh, we've made the investment uh, to be able to have this uh, podcast coming out And you know, folks, we've been working through the book of Romans, and uh, we just crossed the halfway mark of the uh, book. Well, not really. We've got um, uh, a number of chapters to go, but we're coming through the uh, segment uh, number two, Sanctification. And so I cannot wait to dig into that with you, but I do want to encourage you to visit our website, and I want you to... Um, scroll around and click around in there and find out about our online classes as well as our study materials that uh, you can be using. Hopefully you're studying along with Experiencing the Power of a Life-Changing Faith, the new inductive study series on the Book of Romans, the 13-week study. If you're not doing that, go back into the website, pick that book up and have it shipped to you and uh, you can participate in um, inductive study for yourself and be encouraged by what you're seeing in the overview of the Book of Romans. Also want to encourage you to uh, click the donate button at the top of the page on our website. And if you are being blessed by this ministry of Unlocking the Truth, you can donate to the ministry and all of the funds that are donated to Precept Canada Go back to the work of the ministry in Canada. Things like this production of this podcast and the putting it on iTunes and Spotify and onto our website and wherever in SoundCloud, all these locations where this podcast is. It also covers all the expenses and the costs of us to be able to go and travel across Canada because all of our workshops we offer on a faith-based uh, model. We do not charge a fee. We go in the hopes that the Lord will provide everything that we need 
to get around the country, including flights and places to stay and cars to rent and shipping all the training materials, all of those things like that. Those things do have a cost, and uh, we are thankful for those who give to the ministry on a regular basis. And if you want to make a donation, go to our website, click Give, and you can put any dollar and amount in there. We're thankful for any uh, um, gift that comes into the ministry, and we look forward to seeing how God will use that uh, that uh, donation uh, for the furthering of the gospel in Canada. Let me pray for our time together, and then we'll dig into uh, episode number eight in the second segment. Father, we do thank you again for uh, this this podcast. We thank you that we have the tools the microphones, the tech help, the editors of this podcast to be able to get it sent out and produced on time for everybody to hear it uh, on a bi-weekly basis. Thank you, Lord, for the people that you are uh, putting in my footsteps and in my path that uh, are listening to the podcast and encouraged and challenged, sending notes or talking to, to me about it in person. And Lord, I'm just th- so thankful that your word is going forth, knowing that in the culture that we're living, we're seeing this great battle over truth, and we know that um, your word is truth, and that the prayer of your son Jesus was to sanctify them in truth. And so we pray that as we listen and as we study Romans together, that not only would these things become value for our head, but they would also become transformation for our hearts. May we be more like you day in and day out as we wait for either us to be called home or for you to return. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I'm going to take you back, folks. Uh, Let's go back and just review once again. Segment one, the problem of sin and the solution is Jesus. It's the gospel. The gospel is salvation for all those who believe. It's for both Jew and for Gentile. We also saw that God shows no partiality when it comes to his wrath. God just hates sin. And because he hates sin and he is a just God, he's got to deal with sin. And those who are unrighteous are headed for the destined for the wrath of God. If you've not received our May uh, newsletter, pick it up. Go to our website, sign up for it. Email us at info at preceptministries.ca. Check out our social media. Sign up for our mailing list, whatever you need to do. It's on the topic of the wrath of God. And go look at uh, this month's uh, newsletter. Also, um, as we went through, we saw that because unrighteous men uh, have sinned, God hates sin, we're, we're destined for wrath. We also learned through this process that Uh, both Jew and Gentile are without excuse. The Jews had the oracles of God in the Old Testament. They knew how to live a life of holiness. The Gentiles could see the existence of God in creation, and they too are without excuse when it comes to sin and how God um, is existent in the world. Uh, We also saw in chapter 3 that every single person in the world needs salvation. There is none righteous all fall short of the glory of God. In segment two, we come into sanctification, and we become, we're learning about how to be conformed in the image of, of God, to be more and more like God for the purpose of being ready for his return. We saw that uh, the example of Abraham and how Abraham 
uh, was justified not by works, but by faith and faith alone. Uh, we saw also that uh, through the two Adams, through uh, Adam himself, sin entered into the world, and we then had inherited sin. But through Christ, the second Adam, as Paul said in Corinthians, we have been freed from sin and death. Uh, last episode, we really honed in on the fact that we are dead to sin because we identify with Christ. Uh, we learned that because we are in Christ, we are free. We're no longer slaves to sin. We are now slaves to righteousness. That catches us up. That gets us right to chapter 7. And as a part of that review in our introduction, I've got to take you back, folks. I've got to take you back to my high school days. And uh, in my high school days, folks, I uh, didn't get many opportunities, okay? There are a couple things to know. Uh, I always grew up in a, in a Christian family, and uh, we went to church every Sunday. Even though if I tried to skip out on church, I always had to go, and I had to be well-rested and good. However, I was a problem. I was a problem child, no doubt, uh, until I accepted the Lord and things began to change. But there was two things that would happen uh, once a month on a Saturday night, and I would beg my dad if I could stay up. One event would happen at 1130 called Saturday Night's Main Event, WWF Wrestling. Oh, and you know what? I would watch WWF wrestling on a Saturday morning, but it wasn't as good as Saturday night's main event because in my childhood, Saturday night's main event involved wrestling matches like Hulk Hogan against Andre the Giant. I mean, these were fantastic wrestling matches, and I always miss them because I wasn't allowed to stay up till 11.30 on a Saturday night. And we never had a VCR, and uh, we couldn't record what was going on. No PVRs in that day. My children are spoiled to know that they can go on YouTube now and they can check it out. I can go back and watch, you know, a wrestling match from the 80s on YouTube, but it's not the same as seeing it on Saturday Night's Live main, main event. And then, of course, the other kids would be talking about it at church on Sunday because they watched the match. But you know what? There were times when I would sneak up to stay awake and I'd turn on NBC at 1130 and I would hope that I would find Saturday night's main event. And then I realized it was only on once a month. Stumbled across another television show called Saturday Night Live. Boy, that show has changed drastically in the last number of years. But in my high school days, there was this character. Uh, I was a big fan of Mike Myers and and uh, Dana Carvey and all of those guys and, and the stuff that they were doing those days. And uh, there was a guy, and he became a, um, a senator or a congressman in the United States, and his name was Al Franken. And uh, he doesn't have a really good last few years of his life and some of the problems he's uncovered. But he had a character on Saturday Night Live, and it became one of the, the jokes around youth group. And the, the character was Stuart Smalley. And he had little clips on Saturday Night Live, and they were daily affirmations with Stuart Smalley. 
and every daily affirmation would come with he would he would say things like I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and doggone it, people like me. And he would do that into a mirror. He would look into a mirror and he would say, I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and doggone it, people like me. And then he would say, I'm not a professional counselor. And then he would start his little clip of daily affirmations of building people up. And he would have to look into that mirror before he would come about and he'd have to build himself up. And this is kind of the principle and the idea of Romans chapter 7. It's not a, I need to look in the mirror and say, I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and doggone it, people like me. No, no. What I need to do, and we're going to wrap back to this as we close out uh, Romans chapter 7, is this, that when we look into the mirror each and every day, we need to remind ourselves of the most important principle that can be found for us in our life, and that is that I am a child of God. And because I am a child of God, sin has no dominion or authority over me. So my Stuart Smalley moment is that when I wake up in the morning and I'm about to head into my daily life, out into the world of, you know, of interacting with people all around me and and just being engaged in in what we call life, I need to constantly remind myself that I have been saved by the grace of God and that I'm a child of God and that sin no longer rules in my life. And you see, that's how Paul ends chapter 6. He ends it with this great victory, this, this principle that you have overcome sin. And there are a lot of scholars that talk about the fact that in Romans chapter 7, that there's some great misunderstanding and question about Romans 7 because uh, people can't understand why Paul deals with such a great victory in chapter 6, and then he discusses defeat in chapter 7. It feels like chapter 7 should come before chapter 6, because we know in chapter 8, as we're going to see in the next episode, therefore there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's like, why aren't we continuing the victory battle of, hey, we are free from sin, and because we are freed from sin and we're a child of God, we have we cannot be condemned to wrath. And it's like Paul wants us to understand in chapter 7, he wants us to know what our relationship is to the law. All right, so what our relationship is to the law. And we're going to break this out into three simple truths that come from chapter 7. So let me lay out the first six verses and then we are going to uh, talk about those, and then we'll move through the next two segments uh, together. It says in verse uh, 7, okay, for, if you go back to verse uh, 620, uh, for when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to the righteousness. Therefore, what benefit were you when you were deriving from other things which you are now ashamed of? Uh, for the outcome of those things is death. 
But now, having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you, are derive, you derive your benefit resulting in sanctification, and the outcome is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. And then he's going to ask a question. Or do you not know, brethren, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the, juristic, that the law has jurisdiction over the person as long as he lives. All right, so the question that's asked here, okay, the question that's asked is, do you not know that the law rules over a person that is alive? All right, so uh, some scholars point to, okay, well, this is definitely a, a, a talking about the law of Moses and, and the Ten Commandments, and then, of course, uh, the laws that come through the book of Leviticus. But other scholars also say that because this is both Jew and Gentile, um, people receiving this letter, that it's not just the law, the God's law, but it's all law. And that don't you know that when you are uh, alive and you are present and you are walking on this earth, that the law holds jurisdiction, okay? It holds authority in your life. Well, you and I can understand that because uh, if we run a red light, uh, we take the risk of being pulled over by the police and giving a ticket for breaking the law, all right? So uh, here in our town, we now have uh, red light cameras where they'll take a picture of your license plate and send that a ticket to you in the mail. So what's that to do? Hopefully deter people from putting pedal to the metal and flying through uh, the light when it's just turning red. All right, so we understand that when we are living on this earth, we're under the jurisdiction or the authority of all law. We've got to abide by the law, and if we don't abide by the law, we're going to be punished. It's the same sense that with God's law, when we are alive and living under God's law uh, without Jesus, and we're trying to use the law to, to become righteous, and we can't keep the law, we are destined for punishment. And so that's what Paul is bringing about. And he's going to share this uh, through the example of a marriage. All right, so the first thing that we need to understand before we move any further across that question is point number one is this, is that grace always triumphs over the power of the law. All right, so that we find that in verses one to six. Grace triumphs over the power of the law. All right, so listen to what he says in verses two down to in verse three. For the married woman is bound by the law to her husband for while he is living, but if her husband dies, she is released from the law concerning the husband. So then, if while her husband is living, she is joined to another man, shall be she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law, so that she is not an adulteress, though she is joined to another man. All right, so uh, the principle is two husbands here. All right, so the, the idea is that we're looking at two husbands and one uh, woman. And so we know that when we go into, and let me pause because we have great studies on marriage, and this is not uh, a marriage 
uh, discussion, but it's an illustration of marriage. Please go and look at all of our resources on marriage and divorce and all of those principles on our website that you can find studies on that go into way more detail about what we're going to talk about here. All right, so first and foremost, uh, man is married to woman. They've come into a covenant with God, but we also know in our day we sign legal documents that say we are bound together. We use a ring to symbolize that that marriage, that we are connected to each other, and we are under uh, the law of marriage, and the principle is that we are going to remain faithful to each other. And because we are faithful to each other, uh, under that principle and that covenant made, it is until death do us part. So our marriage is held together uh, in the eyes of God and the covenant we've made. And we are saying to each other, uh, this, we are going to remain faithful and true to each other until the day we die. And so that's this principle is very important. And so what Paul is saying here is that because of that covenant that was made in the marriage, uh, that covenant cannot be can only be broken uh, through death. And so he's saying here that if a woman, all right, goes and gets connected to a second husband or a second man, she would be considered an adulteress. She's breaking the law and the covenant that she has made with her first husband. And so what Paul wants us to truly understand here is that when we, in chapter 6, have this victory that comes and this freedom that comes from sin, it's because we identified with Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. We were baptized into his death, that we crucified our old selves. So what Paul is using as the example here is you have the wife, all right, is could be the Jew who was connected to uh, righteousness through the law, and then you have the two husbands. You have one husband who is the law. The Jew was married to the law. But then they have the second husband, which is the one the woman marries after death. They marry Jesus. And so that's what Paul wants us to know, is that when we died, we died to the law, we died to ourselves, we crucified our old selves, which was to be uh, obedient to the law for the purposes of righteousness, but now we uh, have died with Christ, we've identified with him, we've raised in newness of life, that we are no longer connected or married to the law. That relationship has been annulled. It has died because we died. And so because we died in Christ, we're no longer married to a system of regulations. We're married to Jesus, and the law has no control or authority in our lives. Uh, most importantly, let's keep working our way through. 
Verse 4, Therefore, my brethren, you also were made to die to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may be joined to another, to him who is raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. Uh, Verse 5, While we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in the members of our body to bear fruit for death. But now, having been released from the law, having died to that by which we were bound, so that we serve in the newness of the Spirit and not the oldness of the letter. So, what Paul has done through the last, this chapter and the previous chapter is he has made it very clear to us that when we died with Christ, we have been raised new. Chapter 6 says that we've been raised in the newness of life, that our old self has uh, been crucified, and that we are now living in the newness of the Spirit. Verse 6 simply teaches us that our motivation for obedience has changed. All right, so when we have died with Christ, when crucified ourselves, our motivation, it's completely changed. Now, in chapter 7, we're learning in verse 6 that we obey God. All right, we want to keep the laws of God because that's our greatest desire because it is a transformation from the heart that causes us to be obedient. The best way that I have explained this to people is the difference between have to and want to. Uh, When I am living in my own sinful nature, I have to do things. I have to do within my own power and my own strength to be obedient to the law. I have to do my work if I want to be considered righteous before God. But because I have been transformed by the grace of God through the sacrifice of his son Jesus on the cross, by his shed blood that I now identify with him and I have been raised in the newness of life and he is Lord over my life, I no longer have to keep those laws in my own strength and in my own power. I now have the desire to keep those laws and be obedient obedient to God from the bottom of my transformed heart because it is the spirit within me that produces that desire to be obedient to God. And so my heart is being has been changed. It has been transformed. I'm no longer hungry to commit the sin that I once wanted to commit. I'm now hungry to be obedient and do things that glorify and honor God. And you see, it is grace that triumphs over the power of the law. We are no longer in a marriage or in a relationship with the law where I have to do something to be considered righteous. That is gone. I now have the Spirit working in with, within me 
that shows me where my deficiencies are in being conformed into the image of God. And when I see those uh, deficiencies, I want to beat my body into submission by the power of the Holy Spirit to be conformed to the image of God because my desire is to glorify and honor God in all that I do. I want to please God with my life. I don't have to to produce anything on my own. I want to. I want to please my Father. I want Him to to look at me one day and say, Well done, good and faithful servant. All right, let's look at the the next few verses in coming through verses 7 to 14. Uh, Paul asks another question. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? May it never be. On the contrary, I would have not come to know sin except through the law. For I would have not known about coveting, if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, taking the opportunity through the commandment, produced in me coveting of every kind, for apart from the law, sin is dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin became alive and I died. And this commandment, which was to result in life, proved to result in death for me. For sin, taking an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me. And though it killed me, so then the law is holy, and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Therefore, did that which is good become a cause of death for me? May it never be. Rather, it was sin, in order that it might be shown to be sin, by effecting my death through that which is good so that through the commandment, sin would become utterly sinful. What Paul is teaching us in verses 7 to 14 is he's teaching us that he has discovered two truths in verses 7 to 14. Here are the two truths that he has uncovered. Truth number one is that the law is holy, righteous, and good. All right, we see that the truth is uh, holy, righteous, and good in verse 12. And so this is very important for us to understand because sometimes we can get this mentality that the law is not good. It's not a good thing. And yet Paul is telling us that at the root of it, that it's not the law that's the problem. The second truth that is discovered is that man is full of sin. And that man is a slave to sin. And he uncovers that with the second question. And he says, did that which is good, the law which is good, holy, and righteous, is that the cause of death? No, may it never be. It was sin that was the cause of death. 
And so Paul, if we go back to the beginning, he's going to show us that the law was holy, righteous, and good. And so if you think back to the Old Testament, when Adam, we know because we've, we've studied this in Romans 5, when added, Adam and Eve committed the sin, they were cast out of the garden. They were no longer permitted to be in the presence of God. And so God, in his grace and his mercy, he still wanted to have a relationship with his people, and he set up the law as a way to approach a holy God. The entire tabernacle, the entire tabernacle is set up in a manner to approach a holy God. There's sin sacrifices that need to be made, blood sacrifices, uh, altar of incense sacrifices. And these were things that the, the people of Israel, they committed to being obedient to. We will keep the law. And they covered themselves in blood and the law, and they made a covenant to keep the law. But they couldn't keep the law. Uh, The law was not attainable by our own simple works. Couldn't do it on our own. And so what Paul is telling us is the law, where did it come from? The law was given to Moses on Sinai from God. How can that be the problem? When God created the heavens and the earth, he looked and he said, it was good. It was very good. A righteous and holy and just God looked at all of his creation and said it was good. How could God then send down commandments with Moses that were not holy, righteous, and good? They were good. The problem was not the law. Paul says the problem was the man. The man whose heart was so full of sin. Think back to Genesis when just before the flood and God says, Moses writes in Genesis about God, that God looked upon the heart of man and saw that it was all evil. Man is full of sin. Man is slave to sin. And so what Paul says, be, when the law, when the law came to be, what did he learn? The law simply showed how sinful he was. When we, when we look at that, there's, there's a great evangelist that goes around and has some great YouTube videos. And these are some of the ways that he asks questions of the people to get conversations going. Are you a good person? Yes, I'm a good person. Have you ever lied? Oh, yeah, I've said, no, no. Have you ever told a little white lie? Yes, you broke a law. What? You see, you're not good. You're full of sin. And that gives him such a great opportunity then to present the gospel about how Jesus can save from sin because, you know, you're not good. At the heart, man is sinful and he's a slave to sin. And what Paul says is when he, when he learned the law, he learned that he was full 
of coveting. He coveted things. And what the law showed was that he coveted more than he ever thought he actually coveted. That's one of that's one of the things that in my life I got to work on. I've got this neighbor of mine who's got like the perfect grass. He's got the greenest grass. He has a a uh, sprinkler system. I don't. But but I get all these little you know yellow flowering weeds on my lawn right around this time of the year. I actually see them coming right now. And I look and I go, look at that. Look at that beautiful golf course, green, fairway, lawn, not a single dandelion on it. I'd love to have that perfect lawn. And then I get thinking about how can I get rid of all those little dandelions and destroy them all so that I can have the lawn just like the neighbor has. That's wrong. That's coveting something that's not mine. I've got the lawn that I've got. Why? Because I don't water it like he does. My excuse for all of this is Jesus said that we're to live amongst the weeds and we can't pluck them out. It's a scripture out of context, most definitely, but that's why I'll look and my wife will say, you should go pull those dandelions. Why? Why? We're supposed to live amongst the weeds. We'll just let them grow there. (laughs) Anyway. We're doing our best on that. But Paul says, I learned about coveting. And the more I read the law, the more that as I read, the more the law produced and showed me the the more sin that I had in my life. And so the law, as Galatians says, it is a tutor. It points us to the sin that we have. The law is not the problem. It's man who's just so full of sin and is a slave to sin. But thank you, Lord, for the law. Thank you that it is holy, righteous, and good because it has shown my deficiencies. It has shown the desperate need for a Savior because I can't get myself out of that hole on my own. Listen to what one scholar wrote about the discovery of the holy law being righteous and good and man being full of sin. He says, The reason a believer cannot make himself holy by means of the law is not because God's law is not holy and good, but because our nature is so sinful and it cannot be changed or controlled by the law. We're just destined to be disobedient. It's in our nature to be disobedient. We were born with inherited sin. That's why I continue to tell people, and I have used this illustration on this podcast before, when we're born into the world We don't have to spend all of the time teaching our children to be disobedient. We're teaching them how to be obedient, how to be respectful, how to, you know, follow laws. 
I just st- was teaching my daughter how to drive. We're coming up on the one year. My daughter's getting ready to, to do her second portion of her driver's test this May. But let me tell you, the first time she ran a stop sign, I thought, what in the world is going to happen here? And then you have to stop and say, you've got to slow down. You've got to pay attention. There's laws that you've got to pay attention to. And the reason you want to pay attention to those laws and those laws are in place there is for your safety and the safety of others. You want to obey the traffic rules so that another person doesn't die by not being obedient to them. Let's look at the last point because uh, we, because we are full of sin and the law is good and it tutors us and points us to sin, Paul ends with two contrasting principles in the last 10 verses of this book, of this chapter. And listen to what he says in verses 15. Uh, We'll start at verse 14 and go all the way down to 25. Uh, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh sold into bondage to sin. For what I am doing I do not understand, for I am not practicing what I would like to do. But I am doing the very thing I hate. But I do the very thing I do not want to do. I agree with the law, confessing that the law is good. So now no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, my flesh, uh, for uh, the willing is present in me, but the doing of good is not. For the good that I want to do, I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I do not want. Uh, But if I am doing the very thing I do not want, I am no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. I find then the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good. For I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man, but I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death, Thanks be to God through Jesus our Lord. So then, on the one hand, I myself, with my mind, am serving the law of God, but on the other, with my flesh, the law of sin. And this is what the scholars were talking about, the confusing. Well, how come I have all this victory? And it seems like what Paul's talking about in verses 15 to 25 seems like such a great defeat. But let's look at the principles that Paul is talking about in these verses. The first is that the law is the principle of the law of sin and death. So we know this principle. This is the principle that says uh, one who tries to, to hold to the law and do the law as a way to righteousness is destined for death, that the only way to salvation is through Jesus Christ. And so the law, even if we commit the law within our own power and we hold all ten of those laws, you know, and all the laws that were put in place by the rabbi, uh, and what was written into Leviticus, if we hold all those in complete perfection, all those outwards in complete perfection, we are still not going to be righteous. Here's why. 
I'm not sure if any of you folks have ever written or read, sorry, uh, the Sermon on the Mount. Anyone ever read the Sermon on the Mount? <laughs> Jesus takes everything that's commanded within the law, and he says that's good and holy and righteous. And then in the Sermon of the Mount, he doesn't look at any of the externals, the external things that we do. Thou shalt not murder, all right? So thou shalt not stick knife in man's back and kill him, all right? So that external event that you see within, within the principle of murder. No, no, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, he goes for the heart and he says, if anyone hates that, is murder. So the Sermon on the Mount goes to the heart. It pierces to the heart and all the internal things that we say, we that we think and we do and we never really uh, maybe act out in order to look like we're keeping the law. Jesus says, uh, you're breaking those internals. When you hate someone, that is murder. When you look at someone with lust in your eyes, you commit adultery. All of these things that come through, uh, they lead to sin, to sin, which is a re result is death. Principle two is the law of the spirit of life in Christ. And that's here in chapter 8, that when we identify with Christ, that when we live, we are raised in newness of life and is the Holy Spirit working in us to conform us to his image. And that brings us to an important personal service announcement, a PSA when it comes to salvation. And it's important for us to note that salvation does not mean that God changes our old nature. And that's what Paul's saying in these verses. Our old nature is still wicked and is completely opposed to anything the Spirit wants to do in our life. But salvation means that God gives the believer a new nature crucifies the old one, but we still have the ability to sin. But now our greatest desire, our hunger, is holiness. Where, when we were living in our old nature, our hunger was feeding sin. And so it's not like when we uh, identify with Christ that that old nature completely disappears. It's still there. You know it. You know it's there. It creeps up. It creeps up in multiple ways. Maybe it creeps up with anger outbursts. Whatever it may be, you know it's there. And that's what Paul's telling us is the battle that he goes through as he lives here on this earth is 
his desire and his heart is to please God with his whole life, to bring be, have a life that brings glory and honor to him. But down there, somewhere within his body, that old nature wants to overpower and produce sin and, and have sin. But he's got to fight this war between the old nature and the new nature. And he can have the new nature win over the old nature when we stop and we have a Stuart Smalley moment in the mirror and we say, I'm a child of God. I am free from sin. Sin no longer enslaves me, has authority over me. I live in the newness of life. The Holy Spirit is within me and is working to transform me and show me my sins so I can be conformed to the image of God. I no longer have to do anything in my own power to produce righteousness before God because Jesus did all the work. He defeated sin and death, and I am justified by faith in what he did. You see, chapter 6, it tells us that we have victory over evil things of the flesh. They no longer rule over you anymore. But chapter 7, it also teaches us that we have victory. It teaches us that we have victory over the quote-unquote good things that we might do in our own power to produce righteousness. The law has no power and authority over us any longer. We're dead. We've been raised in newness of life. John 6, 33, it tells us that the flesh profits nothing. There's nothing that you and I can do to produce righteousness by doing good things whatever those good things are. It's only by faith that we can have right standing with God. It's the difference now between have to and want to. I don't have to do those things to be considered righteous. I want to do those things because I want to please God. It's not by submitting to the outward laws that we grow in holiness and serve God in an acceptable way. The only way we can produce holiness is by surrendering to the indwelling Spirit of God. Have to 
versus want to. So what do we what do we leave this podcast this with this week? Because let me tell you, there is movements just like we see in the book of Galatians, where we have legalism all over the church. Where we move from things where you've got to read your Bible. Good Christians read their Bible every day for 15 minutes. I've sat in small groups that have turned small group into a legalistic, why didn't you do what you were supposed to do this week? Don't you know that when you do that, it produces blank? You know what happens to those folks is they feel so guilty about not doing something in their own power and maybe not being transformed because they've been just pushed under this legalism to not allow the Spirit to do the work that needs to be done in, your, in their lives, that they get frustrated. But you know what? Also, another PSA is that some people feel really comfortable being under that legalism. They feel real comfortable being in that, I got to do this to produce righteousness. And this is why we are working through Romans and understanding the freedom that comes in knowing there's nothing I can do. We're not expected to obey God in our own strength. Let me tell you, we're always going to fail when we do it on our own. We must allow the Spirit to work in our lives to produce obedience. And that obedience produces holiness. And that holiness, that godliness, that perseverance, all of those things ensure that we will be ready for when Christ returns. Allow the Spirit to work in our lives to show us where our deficiencies are. By the Word of God and the power of the Spirit, learn obedience, holiness, study God's Word, allow God's Word to transform your life. You're not ruled by the law and the things that you have to do to produce righteousness. Christ has done all the work for you. Make it your desire, your heart's greatest love, to serve God because you love Him. This is what Paul wants us to know. It's thanks be to God through Jesus Christ for what He has done. We're not a slave to the law. We're not a slave to sin, but we are free. Praise God. Free at last. Free at last. Thank God Almighty. We are free at last. Father, we thank you for all that we have learned today. We thank you for the truths that have come through Romans chapter 7. And Lord, I pray 
that we would not be people that would get stuck in any form of legalism, but we would understand that because of the transformation that has occurred in our heart, that we would have a greater desire to glorify and honor you in all that we say and do versus just doing good things that we think produce righteousness. It's you only that can justify us. And we thank you that we can be freed from that. But Lord, we're also thankful for the law because it is holy and good and righteous and it shows us our sin. It shows us where we need work in our lives to be more like you. Continue to transform us and sanctify us, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. We appreciate you in joining us in this series of Unlocking the Truth with Preset Ministries Canada. Visit our website presetministries.ca to find in-person and online studies and workshops that will further your journey in His Word and give you the tools to know God deeply and live differently.